Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Congratulations on making it to the end of the week. Uh, Fridays are so wonderful because one, my soft, soothing voice gets to grace your ears, <laughs> but more importantly, it's the start of the weekend. So happy Friday and happy last episode of Pride Month for this year. And also, the other thing is happy one-year anniversary to Scandal 101. My first episode came out almost a year ago. It came out on June 25th, 2021. So this episode's coming out June 24th, but it's basically a year. So happy one year to this podcast. I had wanted to start one for a while, and literally one day I was like, I'm just going to do it. Made the whole first episode, set up the software, recorded, edited it, and put it out the next day. So my impulse, kind of impulse decision to start a podcast is here one year later. So thank you for listening. It's, it's been a good year, and I'm sure the next year will be great as well. Some scandals I've seen in the news recently, I read an article from The Guardian about clothes manufacturer in Haiti where they make clothing for a number of pretty popular, well-known U.S. brands, and women workers in the factory were given an ultimatum of providing people who worked there with sex or getting fired. This article also talked about the uh, standards that they were held to, the production standards, which seem pretty ridiculous. It's a horrible article, and it's a well-written article, but it's horrible in terms of what those workers have to go through. If you want to read it, it came out Thursday, June 23rd, and it's called Sex for a Job, The Scandal of Haiti's Exploited U.S. Garment Workers from The Guardian. And of course, there's always a lot going on in the news, so we'll just cap it off there. The sources I used for this episode, I used an article by Edward J. Covington titled John Allen Heaney, an article by Hunter Oatman Stanford titled Let There Be Light Bulbs, How Incandescence Became the Icons of Innovation, an article by Emily Palermo titled Who Invented the Light Bulb, an article titled The The Tungsten Light Bulb Scandal of 1908, an article from Just Energy titled Types of Light Bulbs, A Brief History and Buying Guide, and then one Wikipedia page. Those are the sources I used, and this week I was like, I don't know what I want to do. So I was looking around, and I saw a light bulb, and I was like, I wonder if there's a light bulb scandal. And when I saw there was, I was like, it can't be that interesting, but it turns out I find it pretty interesting, so we're going to talk about it. This episode is called A Light Bulb Scandal. When you think of a light bulb, you probably think, cool, 
a light bulb, <laughs> you probably don't think much of it. And if someone were to ask you who invented the light bulb, my guess is that many people, myself included, before doing research on this episode, would have said Thomas Edison. And yes, while Thomas Edison did patent the first commercially successful light bulb, he wasn't the first one to necessarily invent the idea of a light bulb, and it had been developed for a long time before it was commercially reliable. So the first practical method of generating energy took place back in 1800 when Alessandro Volta developed something called the Voltaic Pile. It was made up of alternating disks of zinc and copper, quote, interspersed with layers of cardboard soaked in salt water. The pile conducted electricity when a copper wire was connected at either end, end quote. So this wasn't only a predecessor to the modern battery, but it is also known as one of, if not the first, incidents of incandescent lighting. And I'm just giving a brief history because it will set us up for our story. In 1802, a man named Humphrey Davy produced the first electric lamp when he connected the voltaic piles to charcoal electrodes. His invention was known as the electric arc lamp, and it emitted a super duper bright arc of light. I'm sure this was mind-blowing at the time, but even though it was this awesome step forward, the light itself didn't last long, and the light was way too bright to be used inside, so it wasn't super practical, but the invention did, according to some reports, lead to the miner's safety lamp, as well as helped with street lighting in Paris and in other European cities, so the invention seemed to be, seemed to be pretty decent. We continue on to 1840 when a British scientist named Warren de la Rue designed and developed an efficient light bulb, but it used platinum, so the high cost of the light bulb stopped it from being successful. In 1848, the arc lamp was improved by William State, but it was again expensive to produce and a manufacturer, so it wasn't super successful. In 1850, an English chemist named Joseph Swan developed a light bulb that was more cost efficient, and by 1860, the light bulb used carbonized paper filaments. This was like the way to go, this was the right step forward, so he gained a patent in the United Kingdom in 1878, and in 1879, presented a working lamp at this like conference presentation thing. And then it is at this point in the story when Thomas Edison comes in. Edison, he had realized the filament was the issue, and in 1879 demonstrated what would be described as the first successful light bulb. He used this light bulb, he gained notoriety, and his light bulb used a carbon filament as well. So that is a brief history of the light bulb and getting us kind of where we're going to start. And of course, improvements on the light bulb didn't stop in 1879, and in the early 1900s, the industry just kept making huge leaps forward, and because so many improvements were able to possibly be made, it was a valuable field to get into. As a scientist, as an inventor, a manufacturer, this was going to be a great way to make a name for yourself. And John Allen Heaney was ready to do just that. Like I said, Thomas Edison's light bulb used a carbon filament, but 
Though this design was better than all past examples of a light bulb, it wasn't a perfect design. The bulbs, they tended to get cloudy on the inside, which then reduced the efficiency of the light bulbs. So scientists and engineers were trying to come up with a design of a light bulb that used tungsten. Tungsten has a really high melting point, so if the design could be perfected, it could prevent clouding, and it would have been a gold mine for the person or the company who could do it first. John Heaney owned Heaney Lamp Company of New Haven, so this man lived and breathed all things that had to do with lighting. He wanted to be the first person to accomplish this potentially amazing design. Though he was smart and driven, there was another big player on the market, and this player was just a little bit more well-known than John Heaney. General Electric. Not only was General Electric a huge company, but they also did their own research, they funded inventors and research, and they would buy out inventors' companies and inventions if they were successful. They were dominating the world of lighting and just all things electric at the time. So when General Electric heard that John was wanting to do research, was wanting to invent this bulb, they gave John some funding. Though General Electric funded John, their faith in John went away in December of 1904. John, at the time, was teaching science at a college in Pennsylvania for a while, and then he eventually moved on and was attempting to be an entrepreneur. John had been trying to invent this tungsten bulb while doing all of this. He had come up with different designs, he would bring samples to General Electric, and even though he was trying, he was working as hard as he could, his designs were failing, and so General Electric was like, yeah, we don't have much faith in you, we don't have much faith in your ability, thanks so much. John had applied for a patent for the tungsten bulb in 1904, but with the failed results and just nothing seeming to work out for John, he was getting discouraged. After a visit with General Electric where he tried to demonstrate his light bulbs inventions but they failed, John then sent a letter to General Electric asking for them to return the bulbs to John, and General Electric did so, but they kept one of them for themselves. At this point, John had failed, General Electric had lost faith in John, it just was not a good situation for John. But despite this negativity happening with John, there was still a lot of pressure to be the first one to get this tungsten light bulb to work. Because just because John failed doesn't mean someone else could do it, and of course this was still going to be a valuable invention, so this needed to get done either way. Fast forward a few years later when all of a sudden, in 1908, John emerges with a bulb, a tungsten bulb, that works. He's won the race question mark? <laughs> he claimed that it was based on his 1904 patent, but right away General Electric was suspicious. First off, General Electric had funded other operations to perfect the tungsten filament and the tungsten bulb, so when they were hearing about John potentially inventing this, they had a lot of money that could have been lost. Second, 
if this was based on John's patent from 1904, then how come all of the designs presented to General Electric back in 1904-1905 failed so horribly? And lastly, after John came out with this invention, this tungsten bulb that was a product of his 1904 patent and was just so awesome, he wanted to sell his patent to General Electric for $500,000, which today is, ab is about $16 million. So with all of this stuff seeming a little suspicious to General Electric, they started to investigate. The people working for General Electric, specifically the patent people who worked for General Electric, they were going to get to the bottom of this. They went to the patent office to view John's applications, and they took a couple of trips to the office. And it was on their third visit that they noticed something strange. The patent office had accepted an application from John dated and stamped January of 1905. What was weird was that the paper, the one with the stamp of 1905, had a watermark that wasn't used until 1906. So what this meant was that the patent application for the tungsten bulb had been updated, but the document itself was forged to look like the original application. Once this was discovered, the patent office themselves started looking into this because, of course I need to look into this, there's potential fraud taking place. And after some digging around, the office discovered that there was a person in their office who was helping with this fraud. Patent examiner Ned Barton was colluding with John's lawyer, Henry Everding. Not surprisingly, the patent office fired Ned Barton, and then, shocking to no one, John hired Ned, and then Ned started to publicly defend John. For a while, Ned denied everything, and at one point said, quote, I would be a fool to mix up in any matter such as this, end quote. And while he took this stance for a while, he eventually caved and pleaded guilty to fraud. After this plea, John and John's lawyer, Henry, stood trial. When John eventually does go to trial, witnesses from his company say that John had bragged about his ability to essentially trick and defraud the patent office. They also called a glassblower, and he was called to the trial and testified that the bulbs that were supposedly patented in 1905 weren't designed until years later. All of this evidence seems pretty damning for John, but despite this evidence, John was acquitted of all charges. And before John had gone to trial, Henry went to trial first, and he admitted, in, he admitted his part in altering the documents. So he was convicted by a jury, but though Henry and Ned had been convicted and had pled, pleaded guilty, none of them were going to turn on John. So John's trial, though they had this evidence, they didn't have the support of Henry, they didn't have the support of Ned. So John was a free man. Though John was a free man, that wasn't the end of all of this hullabaloo, because the patent office now faced a difficult question. What are we going to do with John's patents? Because at this point, those patents were worth millions of dollars at that time, which is just tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars now. John, he fought to keep these patents, of course, because they're valuable, but when he was asked questions about the potential rigging and the potential fraud that he may or may not have played a part in, but definitely did, he refused to answer any of the questions. 
Because of the suspicion surrounding everything, in 1911, the patent office made the decision to invalidate all of John's patents. Despite the patents being invalidated, John went on to have a successful career as a businessman and an inventor. He later on in his life got dozens of patents in the United States and in other countries, and during World War I, he even helped develop gas mask technology. John was successful in his life, and he lived until the age of 69, and he died in 1946 in Hamden, Connecticut. And at the time of this scandal, when this all was taking place, he was only in his early 30s. Part of his obituary, under a section labeled Valuable Inventions, said the following, quote, Some of the pertinent inventions covered by his patents included the tungsten lamp, the closed self-starter, and the closed circuit ignition and lighting systems for automobiles, which are licensed on every car, end quote. So even in death, he, in his obituary, or I guess whoever wrote his obituary, claimed that he was the inventor of the tungsten lamp. When looking into who is actually credited with first inventing the tungsten filament, in 1904, a Hungarian patent was granted to Sandor Just and Franjo Hanneman. They were the filament was first marketed in 1904, and in 1906, William D. Coolidge developed a method to make quote ductile tungsten end quote while working for General Electric. And by 1911, General Electric had begun selling incandescent light bulbs with ductile tungsten wire. So even though it seemed like John was trying to take advantage of the patent system and trying to get a step ahead of General Electric, General Electric eventually prevailed in their little war because they had William D. Coolidge, the eventual person who would help produce and mass market these tungsten light bulbs working for them. And today, just so you know, the most common type of light bulb is still an incandescent light bulb, but due to their inefficiency of energy, other light bulbs, such as LED lights, are becoming a more popular choice. And with that, that concludes this shorter scandal, a light bulb scandal. I chose this one because though it's a shorter scandal, it's interesting because light bulbs are such a integral part of our lives. You flick on the light, you turn on a lamp, you clap your hands and the light turns on if you have the fancy stuff like that and you still love that. But also I have one of those um, Wi-Fi light bulbs, which you can change with a, your phone and it like changes color and stuff super cool thomas edison's mind would have been blown by that but light bulbs are such an integral part in our lives that we don't really think about them it's just they're there but at some point someone had to invent it and it was a huge race to invent the most successful light bulb and it eventually led to someone trying to defraud the patent office and trying to take advantage or to get ahead of a big company, which I'm not an inventor of anything, but I'm sure as a small inventor, of course, you want to be the first one to do something, but you probably shouldn't do it by trying to defraud the patent office, by trying to fraud commit fraud and just yeah don't cheat to get ahead because it's not good and normally it doesn't work 
That concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to post photos related to this case on social media, Instagram at Scandal101Podcast. The Twitter is at Scandal101Pod. On Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast. You'll find the page there. The website is Scandal101Podcast.Podbean.com, where you can find the show notes, and the show notes are also in the episode description. And the email, if you want to suggest a topic or if you want to send your personal scandal in to be read on the podcast, is scandal101podcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while or since the beginning, thanks so much for sticking around. Thanks for continuing to listen, and I look forward to potentially the next year and beyond. So with that, this has been episode 57 of Scandal 101.